God's Word, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. Uh, we know that we have many visitors today. What we do here at Park Baptist Church is we just take a passage of Scripture and kind of walk through it week by week. Um, today we're in Genesis 27. We've been going through uh, the book of, of Genesis. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll dive into the Word together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of your Word. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege we now have to study it. We thank you for uh, what we've already witnessed today, God, the, the, the confession of sins, the assurance of our, our forgiveness in Christ, uh, the testimony of new life in Christ, uh, that people have been redeemed by the power of the gospel. Father, we thank you so much for the joy that we had in singing. And yet, God, you say that we should bring all our requests before you. So, Lord, we continue to bring our requests before you. We pray for the needs of our congregation. Uh, we pray this morning for Jerry Green and Ken Tedder as they battle cancer, God. We pray that you would heal and strengthen them. We pray that you would continue to give Olin a good recovery as he uh, continues to uh, overcome the, uh, the battle that he had. Father, we pray for Rich as he's at home, just struggling with sickness. We pray your hand would be upon him. We pray for Devin and Melissa, Lord, that you would continue to grow and strengthen them by your grace. Father, we pray for all the, the hearts here, Lord, who come uh, saddened because of their sin. We pray, God, that through uh, today's message, through the word of God, that you would encourage their hearts to trust you. Father, it says in your word that we should pray for those in authority. We do so now. We pray for our president, God. And we pray that you would just humble his heart, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would uh, point out in his life the, the, the heirs of his thinking. Uh, dear God, we pray that you'd be kind and gracious to him and your grace to us through him, God, by upholding things that, would, that you would honor in your word. God, we know that your scripture says that you hold the hearts of kings in your hands. So, God, we pray that you would hold his heart in your hands and guide it where you will. We pray, God, that your people in this country would not fear or fret, but, God, that we as your people would trust in your sovereign control of this world. This indeed is our Father's world. This is your world, Lord. So we pray that you would continue to work your grace among your people. Father, we pray that the gospel would continue to go forth in our town. Father, we pray for Scott Davis this morning at Northside Baptist Church as he stands and proclaims your truth, God, that you would just edify and strengthen that congregation by your power. Father, we pray now as we open the time of your word that you would expose our hearts and our minds, God, to what you're doing. Lord, we pray that you would, would show us our sin and then show us the healing that you offer us in Christ. Uh, we pray, God, that as we study Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah, that you would help us identify with these characters and show us our great need of the gospel. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase, that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ would be manifested uh, during this time. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So I grew up watching sports, lots of sports. Uh, I do not believe I ever had the desire or the inclination uh, to watch a musical. But love makes you do funny things. Ellen, my dear wife, was part of the famed troubadours of Northwestern High School. She grew up singing and going to musicals. As a couple, I've had the great privilege to introduce to my dear wife the NFL, Rivalry Weekend. And she has introduced me to musicals. Uh, December 31st, 2004, 
I bought tickets because my wife wanted to see Les Mis uh, in Washington, D.C. You know, at the, at the time, I had no idea what to expect. I knew nothing about Les Miserables. Uh, and I was kind of still skeptical about musicals. But the performance was absolutely breathtaking. I walked in skeptical, and I, I left deeply moved by the glorious redemption and the transforming love of a thief, Jean Valjean. In Victor Hugo's classic, Les Mis, uh, Jean Valjean was arrested for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving nephew. He was sentenced to 19 years in prison. After his release, he landed at a home of a local bishop. And in the middle of the night, Hugo wakes up Valjean, and he's disturbed at this battle of the flesh. All he could think about was this silver that was left upon the table, unguarded. And he was wrestling in his heart, should I go and take that silver and leave? Well, eventually he does. He takes the silver in the dark of night. He once stole bread for his starving nephew, but this time he stole the goods for himself from an honest, faithful man who opened up his home to bless him. He stole from that man who was acting like a father. Jean Valjean was arrested that night and brought back to the bishop. And Hugo magnificently writes, I quote, The door opened. A singular violent group made its appearance on the threshold. Three men were holding a fourth man by the collar. The three men were Gendarmes. The, the other was Jean Valjean. The brigadiers, who seemed to be in command of the group, was standing near the door. He entered and advanced to the bishop, making a military salute. Monsignor, he said. At that word, Jean Valjean, who was dejected and seemed overwhelmed, raised his head in an air of stupefaction. Ah, here you are, he exclaimed, looking at Jean Valjean. I am glad to see you well. But how is this? I gave you candlesticks, too, which are of the silver like the rest, for which you can certainly get 200 francs. Why did you not carry it with you, with the forks and spoons? Jean Valjean opened his eyes and stared at the venerable bishop with an expression which no human tongue can render and account for. In that case, replied the brigadier, can we let him go? Certainly, replied the bishop. The soldiers released Jean Valjean, who recoiled. Is it true that I am to be released? He said in an almost inarticulate voice, as though he were talking in his sleep. Yes, thou art released. Dost thou now understand, said one of the soldiers? My friend, resumed the bishop, before you go, here are your candlesticks. Take them. Jean Valjean was trembling in every limb. He took the two candlesticks mechanically and with a bewildered air, like a man on the point of fading. The bishop drew near to him and said in a low voice, Do not forget, never forget, that you have promised to use this money to become an honest man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you are no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it back from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition and give it to God. Beautifully written. That one act of kindness to a thief was the beginning of the, the redemption that we see in Valjean over the rest of the story. See, Valjean cared for silver, but the, dish, the bishop cared for his soul. Valjean is redeemed and becomes a tool of redemption. Beloved, God saves thieves. God saves and uses deceivers 
to accomplish his purposes. So if you come today and you consider yourself a thief, a deceiver, God can save you. And if you are one who has been deceived, God can use that deception to save others. God will use all kinds of people and all kinds of activities to bring about his purposes. Three things I want to point out to you from our text this morning. If you have a bulletin, you can provide provide it for you. The first point, we see the dying wish of a blessing, of blessing of a father. The dying wish of blessing of a father. Last week, we saw how God appointed a wife for Rebecca, Isaac. Appointed a wife, Rebecca, for Isaac. Um, There was no mother in Israel, but now Rebecca was there to carry on the seed of the woman. But there was a problem. Rebecca, like Sarah before her, was barren. The problem uh, does not take up much of the narrative, but we see that Isaac prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered that prayer, and Rebecca conceived. It was a challenging pregnancy that began a challenging marriage. Just turn back with me to Genesis 25. This is important for context. Genesis 25, verse 22. God's word says the children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and are two peoples, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. After his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When, she bore, when, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in his tents. Now hear this last sentence. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So there's a prophecy given to Rebekah that Jacob, whose name is Deceiver, Cheat, will rule over his older brother Esau. In that day, the firstborn son would receive everything from the father. Isaac loved his strong, skillful, manly son Esau, while Rebekah loved her thoughtful, pensive, quiet son Jacob. The home became divided as the parents put their children before their marriage. Parents, the best thing you can do for your children is to honor your marriage above them. God reaffirmed his promise to Isaac in the next chapter. He says, I will establish an oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offsprings of the stars of the heavens as you will and will give your offspring all these lands. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now remember, when we're approaching Genesis, you have to see that the narrator, Moses, never escapes the promise. The promise of God is written all over the pages. Isaac knows that his offspring will carry on the promise. It must be the firstborn son, Esau, right? Look at Genesis 27, our text for today. One through four. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he answered, here I am, he said. 
Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So the dying wish of Isaac is to bless his son Esau. Now remember, Isaac loved Esau. But Esau was not worthy of God's promise. Esau was not worthy of God's promise. Isaac is blind uh, in his love of Esau. There's several reasons why we'll see in the text that Esau is not a fit for the bearer of the promise of God. First, we're going to be going back and forth between Genesis 25 and 27, so keep your Bibles open. First, uh, he sold his birthright for some red stew. Go back to verse chapter 25, verse 29. We'll go through this quickly. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted, and Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What is use of my birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now remember, years later, when Israel would have heard this, before they entered the promised land, they would have been arch enemies of Edom. That's why there's that note right there in the text that 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 is why Esau was called Edom. But Esau did not think much of the promise Because if he thought much of the promise of God, he would not have sold his birthright. Secondly, what we see is Esau is not worthy because he married women from Canaan. Look at the end of chapter 26, verse 34. Now when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, as children grow, one of the first things children do is they, they ask their parents, how did you and mommy meet? Well, this would have been a story that Isaac probably would have shared, that Abraham, my dad, sent a servant 400 miles so that he could find a wife at a well, and they would have told him this test. Well, Daddy, why would, 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 would granddad, Abraham, send a servant all the way to, to Haran to find a wife? Well, because it was, it was adamant that Abraham would not... Um, that, the, the, that my son, I, that, Abraham was adamant that his son would not take a wife from the land. Because the, whoever uh, from, was from Canaan, they were going to disinherit the land. This is why at the end of verse 35 of chapter 26, it says they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. It was, they were bitter because their son disregarded the promise of God. Isaac should have known better than desire to bless Esau. That was his dying wish. He should have known better. But he was blinded by the love for his son. As one scholar notes, we should have noticed Esau was not worthy of representing God's special people. But Isaac pushes blindly ahead. Isaac, like Esau, is controlled by his appetite. In this chapter, the narrator repeats the word game eight times and tasty food six times. Before he dies, Isaac wishes to savor once more 
the delicious game. Isaac, like Adam and Eve before him in the garden, were governed by their appetites. The fruit was good for food. So his love for Esau made Isaac turn from the love of God. His love for his son made him turn from the love of God. How often do we choose the love for people, even with the best intentions, over the love of God? The second thing we see here in the text is the deceptive ways for blessing of a family. The deceptive ways for blessing of a family. The, dis- the dysfunctional family of Isaac and Rebekah's home continues to be put on display. If you think your family has problems, let's just read the Bible. There's a lot of cases that are far worse than our own. Rebekah hears Isaac's plan and decides to use her son to deceive her husband. Genesis 27, beginning in verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, notice that, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you, you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. So Jacob, hearing his mother's deceptive plan, does not object on the basis of morality. But what does he do? He objects on whether he thinks it's going to be successful. The story goes on. But Rebekah said to Jacob, his, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem be, be mocking to him and bring a curse upon myself and a, not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me and my son, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Now what you notice is this is not a a random off-the-cuff lie. A lie lie of passion, a lie of of nervousness. This is an intricate, premeditated plan of deception. Not, Not a moment, but willful deception. Jacob had followed his mother's command and was ready to deceive his father. But could he go through with it? Could his son deceive his father who was near death and blind? Could he walk up to his blind, dying father and lie to him? To steal his blessing from his brother. The story continues. So he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. 
Lie number one. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Second lie, this time blaspheming the very name of the Lord. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really, you are really my son or not, your son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to, his, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him and said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. The third lie. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him. He ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. The man that you just lied to and betrayed. Come near and kiss me. So he came near and kissed him. See, Isaac tests Jacob three times and Jacob lies three times to him. Remember that numerology in the Bible? Three meaning whole or completeness. And what happens when when Jacob deceives his father? He is rewarded for it. Look what the text says. He came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son? This is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. As the story continues to move forward, it's apparent that Jacob, like Esau, is not worthy of the blessing. Jacob is a deceiver. His very name is one that says cheat, cheater. Does Jacob receiving God's blessing mean that God approves of his lies? That God approves of this deception? Jacob acted wickedly, deceiving his his dying, blind father. And God blessed him for it. Or did he? Where, Where are his consequences? And what of Rebecca? The wife who masterminded this deception. Beloved, Jacob and Rebecca would both pay for their deception. Rebecca is forced upon this, these lies to send Jacob away to her brother Laban and never sees her son again. You know, Rebecca's death is not even mentioned in the Bible. It's only alluded to in Genesis 35, 8, speaking of Rebecca's nurse who died. It's in the plural, but her name's not even mentioned. And what of Jacob? Jacob, the deceiver, would himself be deceived. Laban would deceive Jacob into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. He would also be deceived by his own sons, if you remember, who told him his beloved Joseph 
was killed. See, Jacob deceived his father with two young goats, and his sons deceived him with the blood of a goat. Jesus says, Judge not, that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You reap what you sow. Never mistake delayed consequences as approval. God will not be mocked. Let's close with this last point, the divine will of blessing of the Father. Let's tie this account together. So when I first read this account, uh, before any study, just reading it through one time, I felt really bad for Isaac and Esau. I mean, the raw emotion of the deception and the loss is gripping. When, when we read this passage, I want you to just notice the, the, the anguish and the heartfelt emotion you, you see in this passage. It's hard to read. But remember that Isaac and Esau, Esau were, were governed by their appetites. They did not deserve the blessing of God. They were blind to his promises. So the pain and the anguish that you see in both Isaac and in Esau should be the pain that, that you see that is caused by sin. That's caused by your sin and my sin in our lives. So if you continue to walk in ways that are contrary to God, this is the outcome. Raw, trembling heartbreak. It's a sad day when one experiences the harsh consequences of sin. See God's word. Esau also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you come, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he was taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is it not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now is he taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. The day is bitter for all involved. There are no winners in this passage. Lying, deceit will bear consequences on all involved. And yet, and yet, God's promise continues. Remember, when you read the, the Bible, think about that great promise, how God is going to bless all the families of the, of the earth through the seed of the, of the woman. 
The purpose of this narrative is to show how God's promise continues even in the midst of sinful people. God will use the worst of people to bring about his predetermined plan. Israel needed the reminder as they stared into the land of Canaan that God's plan cannot be stopped. No one can thwart the plan of God. We know that God can use evil to bring about his purposes. Beloved, God would use the greatest act of evil the world has ever seen in the slaying of the sinless Son of God to save his people from their sins. Isaiah prophesied how the Messiah was going to die by the will of God. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Jesus knew this during the Last Supper. Jesus was speaking of his coming death, and he says, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is portrayed. God would use Judas's appetite, his craving for silver, to portray his friend with a kiss. Isaac betrayed his father with a kiss as Jesus was betrayed by his friend with a kiss. And yet it was all part of the plan of God. This is in the liturgical year, Pentecost Sunday. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter stood up and he proclaimed to the people of Israel, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, hear it, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's what happens to Jesus. Because of the predetermined plan of God, lawless men crucified and killed Jesus. Yet God raised him up. Raised him from the dead, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, God used a deceiver to extend his promise to Jacob, a deceiver. And God used a deceiver, Judas, to extend his promise to deceivers, like you and I. We all have deception in our hearts. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The reality is that no one can understand the sin of the heart. Because as Bobby read, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We all have a heart problem. We need new hearts. We need redemption. God promised redemption to his people in Ezekiel 36. When he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. See, God sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sins, but to solve our heart problem. He died, but God raised him from the dead, loosing the pains of death. The resurrection of Jesus is a verification that if anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Have you experienced that new heart? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your deception to God? 1 John chapter 1 says, If anyone says they have not sinned, they are a liar. We are all sinful. 
Friend, confess today. Confess your sin to God today. Turn from it. And you will receive a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We are not saved by our birthright or by our works, but on God's mercy. When Paul taught this passage on Jacob and Esau, he used it as an illustration of the immense mercy of God. Do you have in your Bibles this Romans chapter 9? It's what Bobby read earlier. Romans 9, 10 through 16. Paul writes, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Beloved, salvation depends on God. See, John Valjean was a deceiver, and the bishop showed him mercy. He responded to that mercy by asking, Is it true? When we, beloved, as fellow deceivers, when our list of sins may be a lot longer than Jacob's, a lot longer than Esau's, when our list of sins is long and we hear of the immense and free mercy of God, we often say, is it true? Can I be released? We should remember the great hymn of the faith. Jesus left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, O oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? His mercy all, immense and free, for, O oh my God, has found out me. Beloved, God's promise cannot be stopped. Salvation is all of mercy. Have you fallen on God's mercy? so today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the immense and free mercy offered in Christ and in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.